Matthew 27, verse 45. There Matthew writes under the inspiration, inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the Son of God. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there, watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Joseph, and Mary and the mother of Zebedee's sons. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea called Joseph came, who himself had been a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it, that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb may be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, displayed in its radiant brilliance, contrasted with deep darkness here on the cross. And Lord, I pray that as we are in the weeks approaching Easter, Father, I pray that you would awaken our souls to the reality of the cross, to the depth of our sin, to the depths of your love and grace. 
and also with a passion to bring the gospel out to our community and to this world. Lord, speak to us as we consider the death of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be aware that I didn't invent my title today. The title of today's sermon, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, actually comes from a book by John Owen. And I commend that book to you, John Owen. It will, it's a thick book. It's difficult to read, but it is worthwhile getting through it and working through it. What you may not have realized is that this phrase actually first came from another theologian, a guy named Augustine. And Augustine once said the following. He said this, Christ's death killed death. Christ's death killed death. Not only is Jesus' death strong enough to split the veil of the holy of holies and cancel, so cancel sin, it is also strong enough to open tombs and so cancel death. Sin and death are humanity's two greatest problems, and Jesus' death conquers both. Praise the Lord. That's really good news for us in this room today. Because over the last couple of years, over the last few years, it seems like death has been a frequent visitor. Has been a frequent visitor to our congregation. In fact, in the last four and a half years, we've had 56 people, 56 members who have passed away in the last four and a half years. Since the pandemic began, it's been all, about an average of one a month. Not all of from COVID, in fact, very few from COVID, but on average, we have had about one a month pass away. These are friends. These are our family. These are our church members. These are ones we have known for so long and grief has been our seemingly constant companion now how in the world do we have hope in the middle of such pain how do we have hope in the middle of such grief the answer is found in jesus christ the answer is found in those who have faith in jesus christ we know that this great enemy, this great cause of the suffering of our soul, so much suffering in our lives, that when we look at the death of the Savior, and when in a couple of weeks when we consider the resurrection of the Savior, we know that here in the death of Jesus, we see the death of death. At the death of Jesus, we see the death of death. In Jesus' death, he solves life's greatest problems, which is sin, which is death, which is separation from God. Here in this passage, we see that Jesus is overcoming all of those things, all of those greatest enemies, all of the causes of life's greatest heartache. Jesus is overcoming it, has overcome it, and the victory is secured in Christ. Now, even though we live between the times, even though we live between the already and the not yet, we still grieve over these things, but we don't grieve over them without hope, without looking forward, without this knowing that Jesus is coming again. And one day, all of these enemies will be fully and finally put under his feet and they will trouble us no more. Glory be to our God. 
Now, I know normally we have notes out on the, on the uh, table back there. I think we got mixed up this week on because of the uh, funeral schedule and things like that. I'll make sure that they will get out there between services. So if you want to have these notes, they will be available for you because there's going to be a lot of scripture and a lot of quotes here that we're going to go over today. So three miracles at the death of Jesus and one way you can apply this miracle to your life. Number one is this, through his death, Jesus conquers sin. Through his death, Jesus conquers sin. Now Jesus here in this passage is hanging on the cross between two thieves. He's Pulling, when we pull the counts of the Gospels all together, the crucifixion of Jesus began about 9 a.m. in the morning, and Jesus died about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, hanging on the cross the entire day, the entire time. I believe personally that it happened on Friday. I know that there are some that hold to a Thursday view, others that hold to a Wednesday view. Whatever view you have, Jesus dies on the cross, right? That's the important thing. I hold to more of a traditional view in that this is a Jewish reckoning of time. Any part of any day would be considered one full day. Now, if you see that differently, praise God, we'll figure it out in the future, right? (laughs) So that's good. Go tell somebody about Jesus, right? He died for their sins and rose again from the grave. That's the main point. Our text in this passage opens up and it's the sixth hour. Now, what is the sixth hour? Hour zero starts at 6 a.m. in the morning. So the sixth hour is about noon, high noon. That is the zenith of the sun. The sun is at its highest point in the sky, hottest and brightest part of the day. And yet on this day, it's dark. Darkness has covered the world the surface of the land. It is a supernatural darkness that is spread across the land. You can sense in this moment the weightiness of the curse, the weightiness of creation groaning because of the sin of humanity as darkness covers the sun, as you see the curse of the law, the curse of Eden, the curse of our sins, the supernatural effects on creation itself. Some try to explain this by some natural phenomena they try to look back and say well there was an eclipse back in the year AD 30 that's fine but that's not what you see here some say well in that area of the world you get these massive dust storms like we will maybe tomorrow here in the tri-cities and the sun gets a little darker than it normally would be I don't think that's what's happening here what's happening here is creation is groaning as the sin of the whole world past present future all are placed on Christ in this moment in fulfillment of the end of the Old Testament prophecy from the book of Amos. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 says this, And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all of your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and boldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. In that moment, the sun goes dark and it is a day of mourning as we see the consequences of our sin and the cost of our sin on full display on the cross. 
creation began groaning in Eden. And now the groans are on full display as the sinless Son of God bears the weight of the sin of the whole world. Now feel this. This moment is meant to give us tremendous freedom as we consider that Jesus indeed paid it all. But it is also meant to give us tremendous advantage in the battle of sin in our lives. As we look to the cross of Jesus, as we consider well the agony of the sinless Son of God, as we consider Christ hanging on Calvary, screaming in agony over our sins, as He is bearing the weight of our sins, sins it is meant to give us an incredible passion for holiness to live for righteousness to say no to sin and yes to god darkness covering the land for three solid hours it's like the judgment of the land of egypt except that the judgment is not falling on egypt it's falling on the sinless son of god three hours of 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. At 3 p.m., Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the unbelieving crowds and passers-by misunderstand Jesus in those moments and they think that he is calling out for Elijah they think that he is calling out for Elijah they 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 had a teaching in that day that Elijah would come and help the Messiah in his distress but we know from our reading of the rest of the gospel that that's already happened indeed John the Baptist would be one Elijah figure, but if you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, we already have Moses and Elijah coming down and meeting with Jesus there on the mountaintop. That has already happened. They misunderstand Jesus in those moments. When people misunderstand Jesus, it's nothing new, is it? Even as he hung on the cross, they misunderstand him. Jesus cries out in those moments, My God, my God, why? In the cosmic mystery, the sin of the entire world is placed on Jesus. And in doing no damage to the Trinity, as we've already sung this morning, the Father turns His face away. And Jesus, in those moments, suffers the wrath of abandonment. He suffers the wrath of abandonment as the judgment for our sins is poured out on Jesus Christ. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever asked that question, why? We could just stop there for a moment, pause just for a moment, why? Have you ever asked that? Jesus can relate. In these moments, Jesus in his humanity hanging on the crosses is agonizing and crying out, Why? Why have you forsaken me? It is called the cry of dereliction or the cry of abandonment. In that moment, Jesus screaming out, Why? But his is not only a cry of abandonment, but it is a cry of faith. Because when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is also crying out 
calling our attention to the Old Testament, crying out the title of a particular psalm, crying out the title of Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Now, we don't have time to go into Psalm 22 in all of its fullness today, but I encourage you to read Psalm 22 as we approach Easter in the next couple of weeks as we go through Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. As we come through those times, I encourage you to read this Psalm, Psalm 22, written a thousand years from the pen of David, great, 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 great grandfather of David. From his pen, we see a, prof- a prophetic word Imaging the crucifixion, what that would be like. Think about what is in that psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 22, the psalmist predicts David a thousand years before Jesus, even hundreds of years before crucifixion is even invented. He calls our attention to the cry of abandonment, that this one would be despised and mocked. He calls attention to our taunting, to the taunting crowd, saying that God won't deliver you. He says that his bones would be all out of joint. His heart would be melting like wax, dissipated strength, wicked onlookers, pierced hands and feet, garments divided by gambling. All of these predictions, thousand years before Jesus, this is the plan of God from ages past to save you from your sins. In this moment, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus is indeed paying for our sins. Psalm, or Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says it like this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I love what Jerry Bridges says in one of his works on the cross. He says the following, If we want proof of God's love for us, then we must first look at the cross where God offered up His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is that one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. And God loved you enough to hang on that cross for your sins, dying in your place, conquering sin so that you could be set free. Enemy number one, through his death, Jesus conquers sin. Number two is this. Through his death, Jesus overcomes separation from God. Through his death, Jesus overcomes separation from God. At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cries out the words from Psalm 22. And then it says in verse 50, Jesus cries out again with a loud voice and he gives up his spirit. In the book of John, Jesus says, nobody takes away my life from me, but I freely give it for you. I freely give my life. That is Jesus giving up his spirit. Think about this. The history of humanity could be told in one word. And that one word is separation. That is our essential problem. It's the story of humanity. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not 
here. That is our problem. Our sins have made a separation between us and God. The effect of our sin is separation from God. God is holy. God is righteous. Sin cannot enter into His holy presence and expect to survive the brilliant radiance of His infinite perfections. And in His infinite perfection, He designed that the concept or this this reality of separation would be woven into the very fabric of worship. Literally. Because as Jesus was dying on the cross, if you were to walk over into Jerusalem, into the temple, if perhaps if you could gain access or see inside the holy place and into the holy of holies, between those two rooms, that room where atonement would be made once a year in the holy of holies, there was a curtain separating it. And on that curtain, illuminated by the flickering candles from the lampstand, if you could see on that curtain hanging in front of you, separating the rest of the world from the Holy of Holies, from the atonement seat, from the mercy seat of God, from the place where the priests could go in once per year to make atonement for sins, separating the world from the presence of God, there was a curtain, and woven into that curtain, there was an image. And what is that image woven into that curtain? The image woven into that curtain is the image of a cherubim. And it's an image of a cherubim because that cherubim is guarding the presence of God. Stay away! Stay back. You cannot come in here. To come in here, you will die. And that was the reality of it. Anybody came into the presence of God, sinful man approaching the presence of God, not doing exactly the way God had prescribed, you go in there and you die because of the holiness and the justice and the majesty of Almighty God. Our wickedness on full display. Holiness of God on full display. We see that in the temple. We see those plans in the tabernacle. Now, why is it a cherubim? What is that showing us? It's not the first time in the Bible that that a cherubim separated sinful man from holy gods. Where do we first see that in Scripture? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, God drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Do not come near. Separation. You must stay back. You cannot come in. Jesus dies on the cross in verse 50. Jesus cries out with a loud voice and gives up his spirit. Verse 51 Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was ripped in two from top to bottom. God did it. As the Son of God's body was ripped, the temple, the veil of the temple, let's go King James, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. was torn into, ripped in half, opening up the way to where separation, separation, stay back. Eden, separation, stay back. Tabernacle, separation, stay back. Sinful, stay away. 
now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is good news. When Jesus died on the cross, it's no longer stay back. When Jesus died, on the cross, new and living way, new economy of salvation, fulfillment of the ages, come near. Come near by faith in the Son of God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've never become a Christian, my encouragement for you today is faith in the Lord Jesus. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God through Christ is not saying, stay back, O sinner. God through Jesus Christ is saying, come near all who would believe. Come near all who would trust. And for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, sometimes I think we get this feeling that we're about to run out on God's grace. That, that, that perhaps somehow God is, is just mildly angry with me and I'm about to run out because I know the wickedness of myself. And I wonder if he's just a little bit stap, tapping his feet, impatient with my inability to grow in holiness and why can't I do better? Anybody ever feel that way? At least one of us does. <laughs> When the curtain is ripped in two, it's not saying we don't strive for holiness. It doesn't say we don't take sin seriously. Look at the cross and you see that. But at the same time, you see the Father's arms open wide. Come. Sin has been paid in full. All of it. All of it? You mean all of it? Like all past, present, and future by faith? Yes! All of it! All of it paid. Come full. Come free. Come believing. Come confessing. Come trusting. Come by grace through faith. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. But come. See God as opening the door wide. Canceling separation by all who trust in Him. Ending separation because of His goodness and grace. Jesus, through His death, has dealt with sin. He has dealt with separation from God. Finally, number three, Jesus, by His death, conquers death. This is good news. Jesus, by His death, conquers death. Not only was there a miracle in the temple in that the curtain was torn in two, but there was a miracle in the tombs. Now, I actually think this miracle, I think Matthew is getting into the resurrection a little bit. I think that actually there is a, a, a sense in this text where this actually happened on Sunday morning when Jesus rose again from the grave. The reason I think that is some of the words in Greek, but also because I think that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And so I think this is kind of all being seen as one event here. But Matthew has a detail here that the other gospels don't have. There in 
verse, at the end of verse 51, he says that the, tor- the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, the earthquake, the rocks were split. Then verse 52, the tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated separation. And in his death, Jesus defeats death. That last enemy. Jesus defeats death. At his death, the rocks shook, the earth's quakes, and saints of old, not all of them, but some of them, we don't know how many of them. Matthew doesn't give us much detail to go on here, so let's not try to unpack too much more into this than we're allowed from the passage. But there's this incredible miracle that there were saints of old, from the Old Testament by faith through the through the, through the sacrifices were looking forward to the fulfillment. And when Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the grave, they get to be ushered in early. Now, what do I believe about them? I actually think they were given resurrection bodies. And I actually think they went up to heaven with Jesus when he ascended into heaven. Am I could be wrong? I may be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Some people think they're more like Lazarus and they died again. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say anything more about this. But what it does say here is that in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus conquers death. And that is very good news for those whom death has been a frequent visitor. And not only that, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. But for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the good news for us is death has been crushed to death. And life is ours in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some good news. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus in his death and his coming resurrection on the third day, he abolished death. It will not get the final word. Praise be to our God. You know, when I was in um, my first pastor, I had a parsonage. And the parsonage for this first pastorate was just a little trailer house. And this trailer house was right next to the church and about 15 feet away from the church cemetery. <laughs> and I remember I could open up, I could be watching TV and open up my curtain to my back window and there was McManaway's headstone. <laughs> My children would play <laughs> in the backyard. 
we always had fresh flowers. <laughs> and it was always freshly mowed. <laughs> I had great fun on Halloween. Because <laughs> there was always somebody that came, teenagers of the community, and I would go out on top of the roof, a metal roof, and I'd bang, boom, 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 and, ah! and they'd scare and run, and they wouldn't see me, and they'd go, what's going on? It's the ghost of Newton Springs. <laughs> ah. When I first moved there, I remember talking to Mandy about it. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> I don't know if I like this very much. It's kind of creepy. <clears throat> but as time went on, I became where, I'm like, this is exactly where I want to be. Because there is coming a day when those who have died in Christ are going to hear the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are left will be gathered up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus died. He's been through death. And he rose again from the grave. And that is the story of all those who are in Christ. The good news of this gospel, the good news that Jesus has already been there. Jesus has already been to the grave and he, is, he, rise, he rose again from the grave. The good news of this is Jesus is the first truth. All who trust in him as Savior and Lord, this is your story spiritually and that when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, God made you alive with Christ and it will be true of you physically as well. One day, should the Lord tarry, your body will be lowered into the ground. Your spirit will be with Jesus. Your soul will be with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But that is not the end game of all who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. At the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet, there will be a reunification of soul and body. Body will come up out of the grave, resurrected, fullness of life, never to die again, new properties, no pain, all of these glorious realities resurrected to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. The gospel is good news because Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered death. He conquers sin. He conquers separation. He conquers death by his death. Finally, number four, the benefits of Christ's death are received by faith in the Son of God. At the cross of Jesus, Matthew records that there were some soldiers. And when the centurion and those who are with them, keeping watch over Jesus, sees the earthquake, sees all the things that have happened in verse 54, they cry out, trembling, truly, this man was the Son of God. I think this is not the voice of a pagan. I actually think this is the voice of someone who has come to faith in Jesus. I think Matthew is demonstrating something of us, something here foreshadowing, something that Jesus is going to say at the end of Matthew 28, go into all of the world and share the gospel with everybody. It is good news for the whole world. Now, just because Jesus has died on the cross, just because he has conquered sin and conquered separation and conquered death, doesn't make it automatically apply to you. 
You must trust in Jesus by faith. You must believe that these things are true. And that's where I leave us today. Do you believe? Do you trust that Jesus is the Son of God? Perfect. Died on the cross for our sins. Rose again from the grave. Died on the cross for your sins. Rose again from the grave. Will you call out to Him? Will you trust in Him? Will you believe in Him today and be saved? Let's pray, and then we'll take a moment of silence, and then let's respond to what the Lord has said to your heart today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace in our lives. Lord, we do pray today that You would give faith to those who are far from You. Those who are still dead in their in their sins, who are still separated from God. Lord, I pray that today that faith would be awakened in their hearts, that you, would, that you would open their eyes to the good news of the gospel, that they would know that this is all truth, that Jesus is the sinless Son of God, that they are a sinner, that they are separated from God, that death is real, and separation from God can, might be their, will be their final reality if they don't trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray that today they would trust in you by faith receiving this free gift of forgiveness of grace in grace. And Lord, I pray that they would be born again. And Lord, I pray for those of us who've already trusted in Christ as Savior, and Lord, that you would, as we consider the death of Jesus, that you would help us to fight against sin, help us to draw near to the Lord Jesus, and help us to have comfort even as we grieve, knowing that death has truly been defeated through the death and resurrection of our Christ. So Lord, we give you this time of response. We ask you to work in Jesus' name.